want to make sure I'm on, I'm on. All right. Well, it is a pleasure and a joy to be here tonight, and I do appreciate the opportunity to preach anywhere, amen, especially behind this pulpit in this building where we have so many memories. I was thinking while Brother Heath was talking here a moment ago uh, how much of our lives have been spent right here in this place on this property. Uh, Many years ago, my family and I moved here to Mississippi from North Mississippi. We lived up in the Delta, and we moved down here to Hattiesburg, and a bus captain came and knocked on our door one day and began to invite us to church, and we began to ride the bus. Brother Joe Lubert, he's in heaven now. Him and his dear wife, Miss Sadie, are both in heaven tonight. Uh, but they picked us up faithfully for years on the bus and were our bus captains. And, and we got saved here. I got saved, I was thinking just a minute ago, trying to add up the years. When you get old, your memory kind of slips a little bit. And so uh, you kind of forget the dates. But I know the date. It's March the 2nd, 1986. So over 34 years ago, I got saved right here on this spot. Where my finger is right below this spot, the platform's been extended a little bit, but before it was a little further back. And right down here at this altar, Dr. J. Harold Smith preached God's three deadlines, and I trusted Christ to be my Savior. There were a lot of people saved in the service that morning. That's been a long time ago. I met my wife here many years ago. She was a teenage girl, and I was a little bit older than her. Still am a little bit older than her, amen. Uh, but I didn't think much of her when I first saw her. I thought, okay, just a teenage girl. Uh, but it didn't take very long. The Lord began to work in my life. I, I made a commitment to live for the Lord and to get my heart right with God at the time. And after I'd gotten saved a couple of years later, and, and then my wife and I began to date, of course, and got married and been married in over 30 years. And I'm just amazed that she's still with me, amen, <laughs> because I don't understand that at all. That's the providence of God. But so much has happened here. Our children were born here. We've, we've worked on staff here over the years in the school and part-time on the church staff and just done so many things and it's a joy to be here and to be back at this church and you know, I was thinking I read a verse earlier this week and the Bible says ask for the old paths over the book of Jeremiah and I'm so glad that this church still follows the old paths when brother Williams was here for 39 years as pastor he preached the old-time religion and then others came behind him and each one that along the way Brother George and Brother Miller and now Brother Andrews are still preaching this book, amen, the way it ought to be preached, uh, straight and true, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad the church has not faltered, has not altered its doctrine, and it's a blessing uh, to be here tonight to, to bring the Word of God to you. Now, Brother Heath has already put pressure on me because he said something about the messages being so good so far with all the preachers that have come, the Lairds and, and other men, Brother Matthews and Brother Brent, I think, preached a few weeks ago before he left. And, and so now I get to come and mess it all up, amen, and just ruin the streak. But no, we'll just pray the Lord will, will intervene, amen, have his way. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11, the book of Acts chapter number 11. We're going to read just two verses, and then we'll have prayer here in just a little bit. But Acts chapter 11 And before we read the two verses, I want to say I do appreciate the opportunity to speak for the Lord tonight. I do want to thank Brother Jeremiah for uh, thinking of me and asking me to come and preach and to fill in. I know he was very desperate to find somebody or he would have never called me. But I do appreciate him doing that. Uh, But seriously, it's always an honor to stand behind a pulpit and preach the Word of God. Especially, again, as I mentioned, this pulpit because of the memories that we have here in this church. I appreciate each one of you that are here tonight and those that are watching my live stream. Uh, share it with somebody, maybe somebody that needs to hear the gospel 
would watch this tonight and receive Christ as their Savior. Maybe there's a Christian family member that you'd like to encourage. I want to encourage you to share the live stream so that others might be helped and might be a blessing to them. And I want to say before we read these verses, my prayer tonight is not to necessarily preach a good sermon, but to bring a message that will encourage, a message that will help somebody. If it just helps one person, it'll be worth it. I do hope that if someone's listening tonight and they're not saved, that when this message is over, even maybe during this message, they'll trust Christ to be their Savior and, and become a child of God. And if there's a Christian that's discouraged, I pray they'll be encouraged tonight. Look with me in Acts 11, verse 25 and verse 26. The Bible says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And then if you'll look in, verse, in chapter 26, same book, Acts chapter 26, and verse number 27, Acts 26 and verse number 27, the Bible says, give you a moment to find it, Acts 26, verse number 27, the Bible says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Again, we see that word Christian in that verse. And then if you'll turn one last place to 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 16. 1 Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 16. The Bible says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. I want you to notice the word Christian in verse number 16. What I'd like to do tonight is just speak to you briefly on the subject that's been on my heart lately, and it's this. Just how do you live the Christian life anyway? Just how do you live the Christian life anyway? Let's bow for prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to open your word to read from it, Lord, and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us from it. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would do just that tonight. May you take the simple truths that we'll look at tonight and remind us all of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live the Christian life. I pray if there's someone tonight that's watching or listening that's never been truly born again, that tonight, today, would be the day of their salvation. They would trust you as their Savior. And then, Father, again, encourage that Christian. Help us to, after we listen to this message, Lord, allow you to work in our hearts and our lives to make us more like our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus. Help us now, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. You know, the Bible has 66 books in it, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New has 1,189 chapters in the Word of God, and there's 773,692 words in the Bible. Brother Gary, how do you know that? I counted every one of them. Don't believe that. Amen. I have a Bible dictionary, and it tells me, a Bible a software program that tells me these things. But it's amazing to me that the word Christian or Christians is only found three times in the entire Word of God. Now think of that. You and I are children of God. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And yet that term, that terminology is only found three times in all the books of the Bible. Well, does that mean that the word Christian is not important? Well, we know it doesn't mean that at all. 
In fact, the word Christian was a name given to the believers by the unsaved people there at Antioch. The title was a name for people belonging to Christ. They were followers of Christ. Again, it's mentioned in Acts 26 and in 1 Peter 4, the only other two times that it's found. Now, there are many other names in the Bible by which God's people are referred to. For example, in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, they're called believers. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, we're called the beloved of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we're called the beloved brethren. In Genesis 24, 31, we're called the blessed of the Lord. In Matthew 25, 34, we're called the blessed of the Father. In, Mark, in Matthew 23, verse 8, we're called brethren. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 6, we're the called of Jesus Christ. And we could go on and on. Over 75 other titles and other names are used in the Bible to refer to God's people. In the first century, the believers took the name Christian and they began to apply it to themselves. And it became the adopted name by the whole world for the followers of Christ. You and I, if you're saved tonight, we are Christians. And so I want us to talk about that for a little bit tonight. Just how do you live the Christian life anyway? And by way of introduction, I want to give you two things concerning the name Christian. Two thoughts to think about. And by the way, after my two introductory points, I've got eight main points with four sub-points under each main point. And then to conclude the message tonight, I have three poems and four tear-jerking illustrations. So we should be through tonight somewhere around 10 o'clock or something like that. So buckle in, amen. No, in reality, I'll tell you like Henry VIII told his fifth wife, I promise not to keep you long, amen. So we will get out on time, I promise you. But let's look at these two thoughts if we might. Thought number one is this. What a heritage that the believers of Antioch left to the world. The very name of being called Christians are followers of Christ. Don't you want to be known as a follower of Christ? What a great title. What a great name, a Christian. Every Christian should want to be known as a follower of Christ. That brings me to our second thought. Every person who calls himself a Christian should be a true follower of Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. 1 John 2, verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. How tragic it is tonight that so many of God's dear children are not following Christ as they ought to follow Christ. We see it every day, don't we? So many people professing to be saved, born again, children of God, but they're not walking like a Christian should walk. They're not following Christ. By their actions, their speech, their lifestyle, they're not following Jesus. And yet they profess faith in Christ. But you know, before we begin to judge others. Let's ask ourselves a question or two tonight. What about our actions? What about the things that we do? Do they please the Lord? What about our speech? 
the things that we say and how we say it. Does it please Jesus? What about our lifestyle? The things we're doing in our daily lives, our daily living. Is it glorifying our Lord and Savior? My prayer tonight again is a message will help us. As we think about how to live the Christian life. Just how do you live the Christian life anyway? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. A very familiar verse. I'm sure for many of us that are God's children. And I'd like to make four simple statements tonight. That I believe summarizes what the Christian life is. And how we're to live the Christian life. The first one's found here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The Bible teaches us to please God, we must have faith. And so statement number one tonight, how do you live the Christian life anyway? Number one, there must be faith in Christ. This is the starting point. This is where everything begins. Faith in Christ. Now, what is faith? If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, early, the very first verse of this chapter, the Bible says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I love that verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. To me, that's a tremendous example or tremendous definition of what faith is. Just looking unto Jesus. Now, how do we get faith? Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, but not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You and I know that we don't become a Christian by our works, by our social standing, our standing in the community, our contributions to charity, our humanitarian acts, or anything else that we might do, that's not how you become a Christian. It's only by looking to Jesus as our Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Some have said, well, as long as my faith is in something, my sincerity is all that counts. The problem with that is that a person's faith has to be in the right place. Or let me say it this way, the right person. The Lord Jesus. People are sincere about a lot of things in this world. And some of them have a great degree of sincerity. But just because you're sincere doesn't mean you're right. I could sincerely think as I climbed on top of this auditorium tonight that I could fly. I could be sincere in my thought about that. But I promise you that if I stepped off the auditorium roof, I would not fly. Rather, I would drop like a rock, amen. And there'd be a big crater there in the ground where I landed. But it's not the measure of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. A small amount of faith can bring a great big God into your life. What Jesus says is that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say that this mountain be removed and it'll be removed. And so it's not the size of the faith, it's who you have your faith in. The Christian life begins, again, we're talking about just how do you live the Christian life anyway. It begins by having faith in Christ. That's how relationship is started. 
You see, the Bible teaches that before we got saved, we were estranged, separated, cut off from God the Father. We're separated from him because we're sinners. He's holy and we're not. We have no access to God, no reconciliation. We don't know the Lord and we can't know the Lord apart from the Son. So until a person sees themselves as a sinner lost before God and they accept the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior until they trust him as their Savior, they're still in darkness. They're still blind. The Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And did you know tonight it doesn't matter how religious a person can be? It doesn't matter how many times they've been baptized. Dr. Al Lacey used to come years ago to this church, and he always made this statement. He'd say, you can be baptized till the frogs know your social security number, and it won't get you one inch toward heaven. And he was exactly right. It doesn't matter how good a person is. It doesn't matter how sincere they are. It doesn't matter if they've been baptized, if they've spoken in tongues, if they prayed to Mary, if they've lit candles or strung beads or confessed their sins to the priest, if they've taken hold of communion. You can name all the religious acts across the planet tonight. It doesn't matter. A person has to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that's what takes them to heaven. There is no relationship with Christ until a person realizes they're a sinner. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. And so a person not, must not only realize they're a sinner, but that there's a payment for that sin, that's to die and to spend an eternity in a devil's hell. They must realize that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again to pay for their sins. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then when they put their faith and trust in Jesus and received the gift of God, as it, which is eternal life, Romans 6, 23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They put their faith and trust in him and call upon him for salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. When a person does that, when they exercise faith in Christ, then they begin to live the Christian life. So how do you live the Christian life anyway? Number one, it starts with faith in Christ. Number two, it's fellowship with Christ. Did you know that living the Christian life is more than just one decision to believe on Christ for salvation. Now that's where it starts. But God didn't save us just to be saved. If that, if that was the case, then as soon as you and I got saved, God would have taken us to heaven. Why leave us here? He has a purpose for our lives. He has a plan for our lives. We'll get to that later in the message. But the Christian life is more than just believing on Christ for salvation. That's the beginning point. That's the starting point. That's vital. It's the first step. But living the Christian life is more than just being saved. It begins with that relationship, yes, but it continues with fellowship. Brother Williams used to say relationship is what takes you to heaven. And fellowship is what helps you enjoy the trip. I like that. Amen. Are you enjoying the trip tonight as you think about your, your salvation experience? The moment you got saved, you trusted Christ. That's relationship. I hope you've done that. If you haven't done that, I hope you'll right now where you are, trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Call out to him as a sinner and ask him to give you salvation. Put your faith and trust in him for eternal life.
If you've done that, are you fellowshipping with Christ? You see, fellowshipping with Christ, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse number 3 real quick. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 3. The Bible says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about having fellowship with God and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The way I like to describe fellowship tonight, if I might, is something I heard a dear preacher of mine say many years ago. He said this to define fellowship. It's simply this. It's living consciously in the presence of Jesus Christ moment by moment. Living consciously in the presence of Jesus Christ moment by moment. I wonder how much fellowship we have with the Lord. Oh, it's easy to come to church and to hear the preacher preach and the music uh, to be sang and, and, and the specials and all, and all that's wonderful. I'm not knocking any of that. And we can, we can say amen and we can say praise the Lord and we can sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound and have sweet fellowship when we're together. But what about when we leave this place and we go home? We go to work. We go to our neighborhoods and we converse with our neighbors maybe. We go to Walmart or to the mall or wherever we might go, a place to eat out somewhere. What kind of fellowship do we have with the Lord then? You and I understand tonight that if the only Christian life that we're living is just inside the walls of a church building, we're not accomplishing it very well. This is just the place, really, I heard Dr. Howe say many years ago, this is a place that's like a football huddle where we get all of our instructions for the play to be ran. The plays ran outside the doors as we interact with people and we share the gospel with people. And we have to do with people. The song in our hymnal, I looked it up, page number 271, says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none others, none others ever known. That's what I'm talking about. Fellowship with the Lord. There's a song we used to sing, I haven't heard it in a long time, but every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. That's the way it ought to be. Our experience with the Lord Jesus Christ will just get better and better and sweeter and sweeter. Let me ask you a question tonight. When's the last time you got along with Jesus and just fellowshiped with him? You just talked to him. You spent time with him. Time. Time's measured in seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades and centuries. But when's the last time you and I spent any time with the Lord? Some real time just talking to the Lord. Sharing our secrets. And by the way, they're not secret to him. He already knows. But sharing our burdens, casting our burden upon the Lord. He's asked us to do that. He wants us to do that. When's the last time we did it? How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees 
till the light shone through. How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? The reason I'm afraid that many Christians do not know how to live the Christian life is because many times there's not much fellowship with Christ. Living consciously in his presence moment by moment day after day. Marriages are breaking up today. Families are crumbling all around us. Our nation's in a state like we've never seen her in in our lifetime. And it doesn't appear that it's going to change anytime soon. Now I understand the Lord's on the throne and none of this took him by surprise. He's still on top of everything and knows exactly what's going to happen. But you and I have never seen it like this. And it may get a lot worse before it gets better. I don't know. But I know this, the devil's having a heyday. Destroying homes and destroying families. Why is it that God's people sometimes grow cold? They walk away from church. They quit reading their Bible and they quit studying the Bible. The Bible does say, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're not just to only read it, we're to study it. Why don't we walk away from the prayer closet? Why don't we stop living a holy life? Why don't we stop sharing the gospel and stop soul winning and stop doing the things that God wants us to do? We know we're supposed to do. Many times it's because we're saved. Yes, we put our faith in Christ, but there's no fellowship with Christ. It's not real to us like he once was, like he ought to be. I don't know who said it. But I heard this, and it just came to my mind a moment ago. Someone asked the question one time, was there ever a time in your Christian life when you were closer to God, closer to the Lord than you are right now? If the answer to that question is yes, then that means tonight we're backslidden. We're not where we ought to be for the Lord. May God help us to live consciously. In his presence, moment by moment, every day. One of these days, we're physically going to be in his presence. And it may be soon, I hope it is. But why don't we fellowship with him like we should? I want to answer that before I move to the next two points. Is there something we can put our finger on specifically in our lives that maybe give us the answer? I think there might be. Many years ago, an evangelist friend of mine, Brother Terry Kendrick, who was an evangelist out of Brother Ron Westmoreland's church, a Bethel Baptist church in Walls, Mississippi, introduced me to a little book, or really it's a little booklet, written by a preacher who lived in the late 1800s by the name of James H. McConkie. He was a native of Pennsylvania. He graduated from Princeton College, which is now Princeton University, in 1880. The president of his class, he studied law and was admitted to the bar and he played an influential role in the work of the YMCA. He founded, and it was instrumental in founding the Africa Inland Mission. He was an invalid most of his life. He died in 1937 at the age of 79. But he wrote a little booklet. He wrote three or four little booklets. And one of them is entitled The Surrendered 
life. I want to read a little excerpt from the book that quickly entitled The Surrendered Life. And here it is. The body of the believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes at conversion to abide forever. To walk in the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh as he has hitherto done is the whole secret of the believer's life of power, privilege, and peace. To thus walk in the Spirit, the first essential is the absolute yielding to God of the life which the believer has hitherto to himself controlled and directed. What is a surrendered life, or rather what is the act of surrender which opens the portals of the life of surrender or consecration to God? Surrender or consecration is the voluntary offering of ourselves unto God to do his will instead of our own. The voluntary offering of ourselves unto God to do his will instead of our own. That's what fellowship is. And maybe one of the things that prevents us from fellowshipping is because we don't yield ourselves to the Lord. Dr. Miller Sr., who was a member here for a while and now in Colorado there with him and his dear wife, but he preached for me a couple of different times over the years in a couple of churches that I pastored, and I remember him sharing with us in one service several years ago that he had a habit, he had a practice when he would get up in the morning and read his Bible and spend time in God's Word and let the Lord speak to him, and then he would spend time in prayer and talk to God. He had a habit of yielding himself to the Lord. He said that he would start from the top of his head and yield his eyes and his ears and his mind and his arms and his hands and his legs and his feet and he would just yield his entire body all of his body but he would yield them to the Lord and say Lord they're yours you do with me today what you want to do with me folks he was voluntarily offering his life his body the Bible says in Romans 12 I beseech you therefore brethren by the Mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Are we yielded to God? If we're not, maybe that's why we're not fellowshipping with the Lord like we should. So how do you live the Christian life anyway? Faith in Christ. Fellowship with Christ. And then let me show you a third one quickly. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. In verse number 2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So not only faith in Christ, fellowship with Christ, but faithfulness to Christ. Do you know God wants us to be faithful? He's looking for his children to be faithful. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said the greatest ability is dependability. The Lord needs Christians who are dependable who are faithful, ones that he can count on. Not Christians who are in and out, up and down, hot and cold, on and off, back and forth. God needs our faithfulness. God needs your faithfulness. God needs this church's faithfulness. Thank God for the the strong stand on the word of God this church has taken. It's been faithful over the centuries or over the decades rather of, of preaching the word of God and preaching it without mixture, without watering it down. Thank God for that. 
But what about you and I as individual Christians? By the way, we are the church. This building's not the church. This is just sheetrock and mortar and carpet and, and fabric and, and lights and electricity. This is just a, a place to meet. But if this, if this whole thing burned down, God forbid, but if the whole thing burned down, we'd still have a church. You and I are the church. God needs our faithfulness. God needs faithful men, faithful husbands, faithful women, faithful wives, faithful young people, faithful boys and girls. God's looking for somebody who will be faithful. Brother Williams, I remember I'm speaking a lot about him tonight because it's just coming to my mind. But he used to say that there was a lot of things he could not do. One of them was he could not sing. He'd be the first one to tell you, I cannot sing. And if you stood close to him while he was singing, you would figure out real quick, he could not sing. But he did say this, he says, I can't do a lot of things. I don't have the talents that others have. He said, but I can be faithful. And he was faithful. I praise the Lord for his memory. Looking forward to seeing him one day again in heaven. But God wants us to be faithful in our Bible reading. Faithful in our Bible study. Faithful in our prayer time. Faithful in our witnessing and sharing the gospel. Faithful in our church attendance. Faithful in our clean and holy living. Faithful in our tithing and in giving of the offerings. Faithful in our family. Faithful on the job. Faithful in our community. Everywhere we go, God wants us to be faithful. Faith in Christ. Fellowship with Christ. And faithfulness to Christ. And last of all tonight, I told you I'd get you out in time. Not only that we learn how to live the Christian life by understanding that it takes faith in Christ. That's where it starts. It takes fellowship with Christ. It takes faithfulness to Christ, but it also involves fruitfulness for Christ. In John chapter 15, if you'll turn there, the gospel of John, chapter number 15. If you have a red letter edition Bible, this entire chapter is in red. The Lord's speaking here. To his disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 1 he says I am the true vine and my father is the husband and every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit and ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Let me ask you a question. By your fruitfulness, how much of Christ does the world see in you? By your fruitfulness, how much of Christ does the world see in you? there was ever a time when the world needed to see Jesus, it's tonight. Like I said, we've never seen what we were going through. This is, and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. We hope and pray that it will. But these are definitely trying and perilous times that we're living in right now. And the best thing you and I can do is to let people see Jesus in us and to share the message of Jesus with every person that we possibly can. How much of Christ does your husband see in you, ladies? How much of Christ does your wife see in you, men? 
How much of Christ do your children see in your parents? How much of Christ do your parents see in you, children? How much of Christ do your relatives see in you, your neighbors see in you, your coworkers, your friends? Just how much of Jesus do they see? By the way we live, the way we act, the way we speak, our lifestyle. Preacher, what's the fruit of another Christian? Is it love, joy, peace, gentleness? No. That's the fruit of the Spirit that's produced in the Christian. But the fruit of a, of a Christian is another Christian. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. First part of that verse in Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. So, as you and I live on this earth, and we don't know when our time is up, no one knows the day, the hour, the moment when God's going to call them home. That could happen to any of us tonight. At any moment, God could say, that's enough, come on. And by the way, the rapture could happen tonight. We could be out of here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But whatever time we have left on this earth, God wants us to tell others about Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's why God left us here. The song says, must I go an empty-handed to meet my Savior so? I don't remember all the words, but must I go an empty-handed? I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed with no souls to give the Lord. And I know you don't either. Daniel 12, verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So as we live life down here on this planet Earth, every Christian ought to be doing something to produce other Christians. How many Christians should we produce, Brother Gary? As many as we can. You know, you can't witness to the wrong person. You can't witness to the wrong person. We get afraid sometimes to ask somebody about salvation. I shared a track today on Facebook and a preacher friend of mine that I'm friends with on Facebook had shared just the, the front picture of a track that said, if you died right now, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And I hit share and put it on my timeline. And while I'm sitting in church this evening, waiting to come up and speak, and the music's about to start, and someone else that I'm friends with on Facebook said, I may only be a janitor in heaven sweeping up the place, but I think I'm going to be there. And I commented back to him before church started. If you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be there. And I'll be sweeping right along beside you. Folks, we need to share the gospel with people. We can't do it maybe face to face like we once could and, and once did. But social media is out there. Wow. How many times could we share the gospel a day? How many posts could we do in a day talking about Jesus if we wanted to? And by the way, I'm preaching to myself too. May the Lord help us tonight. The Lord wants us to tell people about Jesus. How fruitful are you and I as his children? So how do you live the Christian life? Well, it starts with faith in Christ. Continues with fellowship with Christ. Living consciously in his presence moment by moment, day after day. Yielding yourself to him. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that allows us to be faithful to Christ. And God needs us to be faithful. And it produces fruitfulness for Christ. Tonight, I wonder, those here and those who may be watching via live stream, do you know for sure that you're saved? Are you 100% sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Jesus left heaven and came to this earth and suffered and bled and died so that you might know that. He's paid the price. And if by faith you trust him to be your savior, calling upon him in faith and asking him to forgive you of your sin, put your faith and trust in him as your personal savior. He'll save you right where you are. I hope you'll pray that prayer tonight and become a born again, redeemed child of God and begin to live the Christian life. If you're a Christian tonight and maybe your fellowship with Christ is not what it ought to be, would you find a place to pray tonight and ask the Lord to help you? Would you say, Lord, I want to live consciously in your presence. I want to be aware that you're with me and, and, and talk to you during the day and, and live my day moment by moment, walking and talking with you and walking in the Spirit. Whatever your need is tonight, would you get it settled tonight? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Brother, he's going to come and Instrumentalists are going to play in just a moment. I wonder tonight, how are you tonight? Do you know that you're saved? Are you 100% sure that heaven's your home? Would you call upon the Lord tonight? Would you ask him to be your savior? Would you trust him as your personal savior? Would you ask him to give you eternal life and take you to heaven when you die? If you're here tonight and